0: Trust that you're doing well. Uh, If you have your copy of God's Word there in front of you, invite you to go to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. If this is your first time with us, we've been making our way through the book of Colossians. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat bottom in front of you. Um, If not directly, there should be one uh, somewhere in that vicinity. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. If you do own a Bible and forgot yours, please put it back at the end. Don't take it with the other three that are probably at your house already that you've borrowed. So um, if you have never read a Bible, if this is the first time being with us, we don't want to presume it uh, just because you've come to a church that you know what we're doing or what we're about, uh, the big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses. It's important that you're able to follow along with us. So in that Bible there in front of you, it's on page 818. We, we think it's important that everybody be able to follow along with us. So we uh, want to continue our way, making our way through the book of Colossians. We're halfway home for those of you keeping score at home. So uh, Colossians chapter 3. Um, We're going to focus on the first four verses of that chapter tonight. So if you're there, if you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's Word tonight. Thinking about this idea, living the Christ-centered life. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, this is the Word of the Lord. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's been the reading of God's word we should praise him and thank him that he's preserved it for us. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity we have to come and gather and sing songs about you to you and prepare our hearts to hear from your word. And we're, we don't want to take it for granted that we even get to gather together tonight And we, as we think of our brothers and sisters all over the world that potentially may uh, have to gather under fear of harm or uh being jailed God we're just we're mindful of how much freedom we have uh, to gather here in this country we also know tonight God that we're not the only people who have uh, the gospel in our city We think of other churches and we just want to pray for them and lift them up together to you and ask that you would watch over them and protect them and that you would uh, pour out your richest blessings on them think of Graceway Baptist Church and the the guys on staff there Zach Peel, Bon Waller uh, Tyler Shores, Kyle Gangle, Bob Stevenson, God, all of those men who are responsible uh, to, to preach and proclaim your word. We just ask that you would watch over them and that you would allow them to increase. We think of uh, First Baptist Church in Ash Grove tonight and under uh, the direction of Kevin Baker. We just ask that you would watch over their congregation, that you would watch them increase as well. And you would uh, point people and and direct people that are in their areas, that they might Reach people with the gospel. And, Father, we're also aware tonight that there are people all over the globe who have never heard the name of Christ. We think of the Imragan people in Western Sahara, God, that have never heard your name. Think of the Oka people in China, God. And uh, just, again, our hearts, hopefully, those of us who know you are broken by the fact that there are people still on this globe who have never heard the name of Jesus. So we just ask that if you would see fit to raise up missionaries from our church, even from our college ministry, that would go and would reach people with the gospel. And also that you would help us to be people who reach people in our own city. And then, Father, again, as we draw our attention to your word tonight, I pray that it would do its work through the Spirit to mold us, to shape us and correct us where we need uh, those corrections so that we might be made Closer and closer into your image. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated tonight. You know, it pays to have uh, cultured friends. Uh, You know, hopefully, who I'm talking about in your own personal life. This is a friend that tends to make experiences better, that tends to make life better because of their knowledge of an area that is way out of your league. For some of you, uh, you may have a friend, I I don't know if you have this friend, maybe a friend that's uh, more cultured in the area of music. I'm not talking about knows what's playing on the top 40. That's not culture. Uh, Cultured music would be like going here in town and listening to the symphony, you know, an event that you might have to put on a coat and a tie for to go and, and listen to music. Not music where if you're in the front, there's the threat of being punched in the eye by someone in a mosh pit. Something a little bit more cultured. It might even be in the area of food. You know, you want someone with you that knows where to go to get good food um, that can go off of the beaten path and to find good things to eat. Well, for me in my life, this would be Tyler Jackson. He tends to be the person that um, I've traveled with that Knows where to take us to to find uh, fine dining, um, and and we'll go. We've been on trips together to conferences. We've gone to Louisville a couple times together. Uh, we've gone once. We're go- planning to go again uh, April of 2020. That's how far out in advance we book our vacations. No, I'm just kidding. It's just for a conference. Um, and I've I've had the privilege to eat at better places than I normally would. And see, I have a love hate relationship with Tyler when we travel. Because he is focused on taking us to the next level on food, and I tend to take more of a utilitarian approach to food, meaning we're here for a conference, they have books incredibly discounted, let's just grab McDonald's, and Tyler's like, no, we need to eat better food that we can't get when we're not in Springfield, and I've, been, I've benefited from that, and I've I've enjoyed that. It's been probably the best thing that happens to me when we travel because I normally wouldn't uh, go to those kind of places, especially when I'm at a conference because I'm not thinking about that. Honestly, though, honestly, I think Christians do the same thing in their walk with Christ, they're very utilitarian. I've been saved. I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. And it's fine for Christ to save them. And sure, maybe come to church here and there. But affecting their entire life? Really? Are you serious? You're, you're telling me that being a Christian should affect my entire life? And that it should be centered around Christ? Well, the Bible would argue Yes. Your life should be centered around Christ if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you first must come to know Christ and then have your life oriented around it. But I think a lot of us take my approach to food in our walk with Christ. Yes, Christ is essential, but by my terms, my conveniences, and see what is happening here in these verses that we're looking at tonight is the Apostle Paul begins to turn the corner from, theology to doct- from doctrine and theology to actually how we live out the Christ-centered life. And I, I'm going to just be honest, this has been incredibly challenging to study, not because it was difficult, but because of the amount of areas in my own life where I felt convicted by this particular text, because I think a lot of times, if we're honest, Christ's Is good enough to get us out of going to hell. But beyond that, at times and seasons, we struggle for Him to be anything more than that. So, how does the Apostle Paul help us in this area? Well, I think tonight, two things that help to reorient us or reorder us. You'll hear me refer to that multiple times tonight this idea of reordering or uh, reorienting our mind and our thinking and our living. To Christ, uh, the first area where we see that is by having the right mindset. If we're going to live a Christ-centered life, it begins by having the right mindset. Look at verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So here's... Again, this is a transition paragraph. Chapters 1 and 2 have really focused heavily on combating false doctrine, of correcting and encouraging sound doctrine, of thinking rightly. And now in these first four verses, the Apostle Paul is going to turn the corner, so to speak, and begin to communicate how we might live out that right doctrine. So... I always like saying this as I transition through Paul's letters. Paul is always concerned that right doctrine and right living are married. But just like in a good marriage, the proposal comes before the the wedding. Hopefully, you will not experience in your life getting married to and then being proposed to. That would be awkward and difficult. And you might have found yourself on a reality TV show. So if that happened, maybe the payout is better for you to go through life. But ordinarily, there is the right doctrine, then the right living. We could say it in a really super theological way. So again, in my imagination, I think that you all still are throwback people and would go to dinner parties and would want good little tidbits to exchange over small talk at these dinner parties. I don't know that these exist anymore, or maybe you have to make more money, but we could say it this way. So dinner party type uh, communication would be orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right doctrine leads to right living. I think a lot of people who are Christians are trying to do the right living without first examining what the right doctrine is. So that's why Paul front loads chapters one and two with right doctrine. And now we're going to focus on right living. But before we ever get out of the chute, so to speak, the apostle Paul takes him back to where they were. If then you were raised with Christ, if now this is not a hypothetical, if if you're actually converted, it's the word we might can say a conditional word since as a result of the fact that. You are saved. So, see, the the Apostle Paul doesn't want anyone to be confused into thinking that they're going to be able to live rightly without first coming to know Christ. And I just want to take us back there again tonight and say, friend, if you are sitting here and you don't know Christ, you're going to hear this entire sermon. You're going to go and try and live it out, and you're going to be incredibly frustrated Because what needs to happen before you can actually live it out hasn't happened. You're frustrated because I I can't seem to live the way the Bible calls me to live. Friend, none of us will live to it perfectly. But perhaps the reason why you're struggling so much is because you're trying to do something in your own power that can only be accomplished in Christ's power. So right here, before he ever gets any further into how you're going to live out what it means to follow Christ, he takes them back to their conversion. Takes them back and reminds them that since you've been raised with Christ. Or we could say it like this. The Apostle Paul transitions in chapter 3, verse 1, saying, In light of your conversion to Christ, live this way. And and he reminds them that who's raised them. It's Christ that they've been raised with. It's going to serve the Colossians to be reminded that Christ is the one who's done the saving. That he is the one who has uh, moved them from darkness to light. And as such, as they try to live this way, Christ is going to be completely sufficient to help them live this way. Here's another thing that I think we try and do. We try to live rightly. We've been genuinely converted. We try to live rightly, but we try to do it in our own power without tapping into Christ's power. And we wonder why we struggle so much because we're trying to do the American dream and not live like Christ. So if you are in Christ, recognize that Christ is the one who has raised you, and he is sufficient. He says, seek those things which are above. Carries the idea that Christians should be the people who are preoccupied with heaven. Preoccupied with heaven, it's a natural thing for them to be thinking on heaven and the things of heaven. Matthew six thirty three says, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you." This idea that you're heavenly minded, heavenly status is guiding the thinking of the believer. But we have to ask ourselves: Is our thinking guided by heaven or this earth? The Apostle Paul saying, "Don't." He says, seek the things above. Have a heavenly mindset. And and he's going to point to where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So you're seeking and striving to think heavenly, to think heavenly thoughts, to be focused on heaven. And we're focusing on Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Why is that significant? Why is it significant for us to be thinking of Christ and where He is? Well, because Christ is the one who produces our growth. Remember last week we talked about growth that's tried to be, or it's done or tried, separated from the body of Christ. Kind of like a hand trying to operate without the rest of the body. It just doesn't, when it looks weird. It only really works in some creepy movie called The Adams Family. And in all reality, it's just not going to work. So we set our affection on Christ because he's the one who's going to produce the growth. And, and think of it this way. Since Christ produces our growth, it only makes sense... To ground our thinking in where he is. If he's the one who's producing the growth in us, we should be thinking about where he is. Well, you say, that's great. Think heavenly. How do I do this? Well, verse 2 answers that question. Set your mind on things above. We could say it this way. Constantly fix your thoughts on things above, or keep thinking on things above. It's a continual action of thinking constantly on the things above, heavenly things. They're motivating us to live differently in light of the reality of heaven. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are we gonna be transformed? Well, Paul answers that by saying, by the renewing of your mind. One would only need to think of the great football coach, Herb Boone from Remember the Titans. We're gonna change the way we block. We're going to change the way we hit. We're gonna. We, it's a wholesale change from the way that we think about life. Think of that great cinematic entertainment, Shrek. Highlighting moment where Pinocchio exclaims, I'm a real boy. Christians, more often than not, unfortunately, look like the old version of Pinocchio in the new Pinocchio's body. Remember the classic story, Pinocchio is a puppet that comes to life and becomes a real boy. He sings that great Disney song, I've Got No Strings to Hold Me Down. Here's the problem. I think a lot of Christians have been transformed by Christ, and rather than renewing their mind and focusing on the fact that the strings of this world no longer hold on to them, they're trying to slap them back onto their body. And unlike Pinocchio, they would say, I love these strings that hold me down. Christians who are far more concerned about this earth than the the one to come, the new heavens and the new earth. Because, see, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. It's this idea of nurturing the affections of our own heart to delight in the things of God and of heaven. I remember being a kid and hearing people say something to the effect of this person is so heavenly minded. They're of no earthly good. And I was used to think, man, that's a really good statement. Like you don't want to focus so much on heaven that you miss all of the earth. But then you read the Bible and you read church history all of the men of God that are used and the women of God that are used by him are so heavenly minded they can't help but be earthly good. We're nurturing these affections in the way that we think. We're developing them. I love that word nurture. comes. It's a... I've, I love dictionaries. It's a Middle English word that, it, yeah, whatever. You don't care about that. But it carries with it the idea of nourishment. That's what, where we get the word nurture. It's a Latin and Middle English word for all of you that will play Scrabble later tonight. That would be two of you, probably. It's nourishment. of heaven. And this is not a preoccupation with like going to Revelation and reading about heaven and be like, I wonder what my mansion's going to look like. And I wonder uh, what the streets are really, are they really made of gold? And like asking all of these ridiculous questions about what heaven will be like, which is always interesting. It never fails. You get put on any Q and a panel and somebody will ask, what do you think heaven will be like? And you just respond. I don't know, but when I get there, I'll be sure to tell you like I don't know, but we're not, I I can assure you this. If you are genuinely converted tonight, if you are truly in Christ, when you get to heaven, the furthest thing from your mind is going to be, where's my house? I've got to drop off these bags and freshen up. It's not like going to stay at a Holiday Inn and going, where's the swimming pool? There are a lot of Christians who think of heaven in those terms only when you get to heaven, if you're genuinely in Christ. You're going to be delighting in the person of Jesus Christ. Falling at his feet and worshiping him. You see, this is why the Apostle Paul wants your mind, and also just by way of reminding us in a subtle way, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is communicating with us that he desires that our thoughts be driven and focused on who he is rightly because that's going to change the way that we live. It says not on earthly things or not on the things of the earth. These are the things that distract us from worshiping God completely. And this is where the false teachers live. They live on earth. They're focused on being on earth. They're focused on earth and everything that it entails. I think a lot of times we look like the false teachers. We're enthralled with earth. We just are. Christians all the time are caught up by the earth and what's in it, on it, what's going on around it. Everything consumes us other than Jesus Christ, his word, and knowing him more deeply. We're consumed by the latest fad. Whatever that might be, right now, if, if you're wearing clothes, which I, it seems like everyone is, the, the, the latest fad is bringing back the early 90s into fashion, which is just a terrible idea. As someone who watched high school students then, it certainly isn't any better now. We become obsessed. Become obsessed with television shows that promote no earthly thinking or no heavenly thinking. They produce a whole lot of earthly thinking, but no heavenly thinking. Be consumed by movies. I got to be careful because like saying anything about movies from this particular pulpit is liable to get me beat up after church. Because our affections are drawn into... What the latest and greatest TV show, movie, video game. I mean, you name it. You, I, I don't have to list off specific things. You know it. I know it. There are things that capture our heart that isn't Jesus. And how many times am I going to be wrapped up in, in a sporting event? To go. This is kind of anticlimactic because God already knows the outcome of this. He's sovereign over it. I'm getting real worked up. It's developing a a heavy burden in our own hearts for the people around us. Being far more concerned that the person in the cubicle next to me is not up to date on the latest Netflix Mary Kondo episode. Being far more concerned about the person in the chair next to me in my chem lab that there is a good chance that I may be the only person that speaks Christ to them. And there is a 100% chance of the fact that any person who never repents of their sins, believes in Jesus Christ, and trusts in Him for the forgiveness of their sins, will spend eternity separated from God in a real and literal hell. Which is why I have to ask tonight, what are you focusing on or thinking more on than heavenly things. What's what's where's your heart prone to be pulled away? And where does your mindset need to change? Or restructure in light of what this text teaches? Because, friends, tonight, I I'll be honest with you. I could list off things from the top of my head that I think would distract us from living heavenly and may miss what is distracting you right now. So even right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind areas of your own life where you're tempted to have the wrong mindset. It's not just enough to have the right mindset. We also must have the right motivation. And to kinda, this paragraph just continues to climb and build to its conclusion, its climactic point. In verses 3 and 4, he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What should be motivating you, what should be directing you, what should be challenging you as a Christian in how you live is Christ. That's the motivation. You have the right mindset and the wrong motivation. But make no mistake, beloved, you'll never get far with the wrong motivation. I think a lot of times it's easy for pastors to stand on stage and really guilt trip an audience into really thinking that they're terrible human beings because they don't share Jesus enough. They'll say things like those people that you don't share Christ with. Their blood is on your hands. Heard that before. Just false. It's bad theology. And it'll make you feel like you are the worst person in the world because you haven't shared Christ with every person that you've come in contact with. And so what do you do? You leave here with a wrong motivation. The motivation is to not feel guilty anymore. So now I'm going to share the gospel with everybody. Almost run over a squirrel in traffic, you get out, you check on the squirrel, and you launch into a gospel presentation. You're just that Johnny super Christian. Beloved, I think that's the reason why we don't share Christ is because there's so much guilt that's kind of coming over top of us, and I just can't do it. Friends, your motivation can't be your guilt to make much of Jesus. It has to be Christ. Because when your eyes are focused on him, then it doesn't matter what may come your way when you go to share him. And I'm going to be honest again, and I've said this I don't want to say hundreds of times because then somebody will like go back and try and find all the recordings of sermons and go, oh, you've said it 97. I think the greatest danger facing our college ministry and our church by extension is to be lulled to sleep by the sound of our own success. To look around this room and go, there's a lot of people in here and I've been to other college ministries that don't have as many people as if that's the benchmark for success. Or to go and sit in a worship service and go, oh, we have over two thousand people that come in the morning. We are we, successful because of the amount of bodies that pile into a church. Friends, that's the thing that scares me: is that I think we think we are okay, and there's nothing else we need to do. He said, "Why does that scare you?" I've gone back and forth with sharing this. I guess I've landed on I'm going to. I came in here today just to kind of clean up because um, one of the things you'll notice on our cards is we had to change the invite times on it. And uh, some of the pew pockets, the cards were mashed down in them and wanted to clean everything up and make sure the Bibles are all nice and neat for whoever would come in tonight. And I was shocked. At the amount of cards where we've tried to say like, hey, take this one card and get into one conversation this week with somebody and try and invite them to church. I was shocked. At the number of cards I pulled out of our own pockets where we've said, it's okay, I don't need to do that this week. What does that say about our mindset? What does that say about what we think about the people in our own city? What does it say about the people we go to school with? And you're saying, David, there it is. It's the guilt trip. And I'm telling you, it's not. Because I don't think that me guilting you into sharing Jesus more will do it. Because it doesn't work with me. So why would I try something on you that doesn't work with me? It's until my heart is completely overwhelmed and enamored with Jesus that I begin to start sharing Christ with the people around me. Real gut check time. Does it bother you on a Wednesday night that you come into this room and there's seats available for people? that most of you go to college campuses that are, like, we couldn't even hold all the people from your school in our sanctuary, and yet we find ourselves here tonight saying we're Christ-centered people, but I don't really want to be uncomfortable and share Jesus with the person in my chem lab or at my job or wherever I am. Uh, Friends, I say this with all the love and sincerity of the world, because this is, Literally just my heart this week has just been crushed. At times I just didn't even want to sit at my desk and study anymore. So I'm thinking in my own heart, like, why am I so preoccupied with X? Whatever X is, why is it why is it capturing my heart? Even good things. Because in those moments my heart is not raptured, and in love with Christ. And I'm saying as the pastor who's supposed to have it all together, I can assure you that I don't, and if you need references, I can send them. And I'm still seeking to grow in this area of setting my mind on things above. On letting my affections be. Christ than they are for my own self of yes trying to push myself to ask people about their own lives so that I could share Christ with them I'm always in that awkward stage of I don't want to ask this person if they go to school because it's one of two things that happens ask them and they're like no I'm a freshman in high school and then I look like an idiot or then I ask them and they're like no I'm 47 and I look like an even bigger idiot either way I look like an idiot one probably both are like I look so much older than I really am and I let those fears keep me from of moving out on mission but even more so Not just in moving out on mission and not just in the area of evangelism, but letting my heart become enraptured by things that steal from my time praying, my time reading God's word, even letting things grab my heart to make me go, man, I kind of wish I wasn't on staff so I could take a Sunday off. Yes, even I have those thoughts of it sure would be nice to stay at home today. Why do those thoughts creep into our brain? Because something has grabbed a hold of our heart that isn't Christ. And sometimes it's even good things. But remember, Tim Keller helpfully said, good things become bad things when good things become God things. Some of you, it's something is grabbing for your attention to be at church. You even struggled tonight. It was 50-50 whether you were going to show up. And praise God you did. But you know that the next battle is going to come around this coming Lord's Day and then on Wednesday night again. I want to push us as we come to a conclusion to think about what are the areas in our lives that are stealing us from having the right mindset and the right motivation. Here Christ is pictured perfectly It's who he is. We're safe and secure with him. We have everything we stand in need of in the person and work of Christ. Yet, we're not doing a very good job of putting those things to death, which takes us back to last week. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So I want to challenge us tonight to be people who think in the moments to come, what are the areas of the way that I think? the way that I'm motivated to think, and my motivations are going to impact the way that I think, and the way that I think is going to impact the way that I act. So if I want to change the way that I act, I have to start with my motivations, my heart attitude, my wants and desires, so that those will change my thoughts and then in